It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into another edition of the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each week we look at sports topics locally, nationally, and I may even have an old man rant or two at the end of this. And we'll have to get back to ghost stories again at some point, but Rick's freaked out by him, so he doesn't bring them up anymore. And as always, it is presented by Joseph Chevrolet. Things got a little spooky at the Brewing household. We had to cool our jets on all the ghost talk. <laughs> now, here's the thing. You know what we need to do? We need to bring it back up and see if anything else happens, and then you'll know it really is real. And that's You're probably right. I started sleeping at other people's houses, so maybe wow. uh, I just started sleeping at home again. Maybe wow. we'll have to test that out. The Bengals scored 17 straight points to take a 17-14 lead in the second half Sunday at Buffalo, only to lose on a touchdown in the closing minutes by Bills running back Frank Gore. That late TD was the game winner, but it's clear the Bengals lost by digging themselves a 14-0 lead during an incompetent first half. Do you place blame on the coaching staff for this team not being ready to play in the first half, or do you give them credit for figuring out a game plan that worked in the second half to turn things around? A little bit of both. I, I'm, I'm never one of those that, that says that it, because a team doesn't play well in a half, that it's because of the game plan. Sometimes yeah. it's guys just not executing plays, right? I, I always love that the coaches didn't have them ready to play. Yes. Or the other one that I, I always love is people, I think, sometimes confuse effort with execution. Well, they didn't. They got to play harder. No, they, they didn't want it. Yeah, no, they really just got to execute what's there in front of them, and that yeah. sometimes you get confused with that. You know, you know it. what they need is Andre Smith not to get blown by seven hundred and fifty times that, off the, that the would jump. Be, that would be helpful. I, I, I did. I, I was puzzled a little bit by by the fact in the first half they didn't have many first down plays because they only had two first downs and one came on the last play of the half, so they only had eight first down snaps in, in the ball game. And they in the first half, and they ran twice and were effective on both. One was a three yard gain. That's not overly effective, but it puts you at least in a better down and distance than second and ten. Um, and another one gained eleven yards. The other six plays were all pass plays, and of those pass plays, two were complete. One for negative three yards, and one that John Ross fumbled. The first completion of the day, John Ross fumbles. So the second half, it felt like that they got into a better rhythm and partially because they stuck a little bit more with the run. Mixon was four carries for 18 in the first half. He was 11 for 43 in the second half. And I, I asked Zach Taylor on, on Monday if that gives him confidence moving forward to to run the ball more. He took my question a little out of context and really didn't answer the vein I kind of asked it in. I probably should have followed it up. But it, it felt like to me that once he saw, okay, we can run the ball a little bit. I, the first half it looked like they thought, we're not going to be able to run the ball, so let's just go quick passing game, get us five yards in the quick passing game, that'll be our run game, and on second and five, then we can run the football. And I get that. If that's what your plan was going in, okay, that's fine. And then at halftime, like the, the question, the way you phrased it was, hmm, that didn't work, let's, let's try to run the ball a little bit more. And the more success they had, then you started to see, if you go back and watch film on it or, or the tape of it, you started to see them work, work their play-action game. And their play-action game, you saw slants behind linebackers. You saw deep in-routes behind linebackers. You saw them start to get effective in, in the passing game. So I think they found some kind of rhythm in that second half, and maybe it's the light bulb of, of look, I don't think these guys can run block, but i got to give them a chance to do it, and I thought they did it. I'd be very bothered after watching this team through the preseason, through the first few games, if they went out on Sunday and all of their first down plays were runs up the middle that got stuffed. Because you've already proven you can't run the football. So while it did work, and I agree with you that that was the right adjustment in the yeah, second half Yeah, I don't think you have to run on every first down, but it felt like they were passing on every first down. They were, but I totally understand why they felt that should yes. be the game plan. Yes. And I'm glad they adjusted to it yes. when, hey, things weren't going right. But this is what I was worried about. We talked about it after the first week. They had a lot of success moving the football against Seattle, but I felt a lot of it was smoke and mirrors because they were doing it off the power of screen passes and some play action. Right. And the end 
the day when the other team knows that's what you're going to do and they stay home on it, that stuff isn't going to work consistently if you can't run the ball. Well, and your play action is not going to work if you don't run the ball. Nobody's, right. nobody, it, nobody's going to get buffaloed by it. Exactly no pun right. intended. And so, I mean, I was... I'm still pretty high on this staff, and it's not. I am too. It's, it's not that they've proven so much yet. It's just more that it's a total incomplete because I feel like they are playing with not one arm tied behind the back, but both right now. Almost the offensive line is so bad. The defense is inconsistent. Well, the you, linebackers are just awful. You don't have AJ Green. Um, you, the guys that you John Ross is dropping balls left and right, even when he is getting open. I mean, there's just so much going on that is out of their control that has nothing to do with what they're calling in terms of X's and O's. That I shouldn't even say I'm optimistic about what they've done. I'm just still hopeful that they might be the right guys, and we don't know that. Yeah, yet. we don't. And and I think what's going to happen here is we're going to get to a point, and it may come after this week. It may be 0 and 5 after Arizona, whatever it is. That you have to come to the realization as a coach and and us that cover them and you as fans who are listening, that this is this is we're seeing the start of what has to be a long term rebuild process. And I hate to use that that terminology, but it's it is. You just you have a lot of holes to fill. And look, I, I, Zach Taylor after the game, he said he wouldn't trade a single guy in that locker room for for anybody <laughs> else. And I, okay, that that's great. I, I I appreciate you trying to rally the troops, and that's what you got to do. But um, you don't believe that, and and I certainly don't believe that. Um, I mean, you need a whole new set of linebackers. You need you you need Jonah Williams back, but then you're also going to need some other guys to draft along the offensive line to to, to get it right. Um, you have to make a decision on AJ Green. I'm I, I'm not so sure what what you do with him at this point moving forward because I'll be honest, the, the wide receiving group. You know, John Ross has had his issues with the drops. I mean, it, it's it's now getting alarming. It seems like it's every game there's at least a drop or at least a faux pas. But I guess the one thing is you got to swallow hard and say if he's going to make me a a big play every game, and he didn't in this game, but he's done it in the first two. I'll, I'll, I'll live with that. But you saw Auden Tate come in and make, make some plays. You've seen Tyler Boyd become reliable. I, I think this really is kind of a plug-and-play offense for wide receivers that while A.J. Green's a nice luxury item to have, is, is he a guy you're going to throw a lot of money at moving forward if you're going through a rebuilding process? Yeah, and, and I don't know. I know I'm jumping the gun on that a little bit. But A.J. Green fits any offense. Like, he'll be yeah, good no, no, in no, any no, offense. No, I agree. I, I'm just saying but, financially, when you're looking at all the other things you need to fix, and you're seeing that... Look, your wide receiving core has been pretty good through the first three games. I mean, Tyler Boyd's been great. John Ross has been spectacular at times. We saw Damian Willis in game one have a handful of catches. We see Auden Tate step in for Damian Willis and lead the team with six catches for 88 yards and almost made a great play on a ball thrown behind him, a bad ball by Andy at the end of the game. So I'm just I'm coming to that realization of as much as I love A.J. Green, I'm not so sure I don't start to look maybe even by the trade deadline, trade A.J. Green. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm probably jumping the gun on this, but I'm trying to look at this long term, and I think – we're not quite there yet with where you're going with this long term, but I think we're going to get there very quickly. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I think he fits any offense, and I'm sure he's going to come back and remind us all why, oh no, they need him, and he's going to make mm. this offense better. But I, I do think, because of who Andy Dalton is, because of who this offense is trying to be going forward from the looks of things, in terms of a little more quick strike, not quick strike, but uh, quick, quick hitters, yeah, yeah um, that he is not going to be as effective in this offense as he would in maybe a, a more traditional or older style NFL offense. And I do think you have to start wondering, he's had a little bit of an injury no history doubt. now. Do you sink a bunch of money into him? Or do you start looking because you're probably a couple years away considering all the pieces you need? Well, now, I don't think there's any... Including, including you may have to look at quarterback down the road here, right? Right. And I don't think there's any quote-unquote long-term rebuilds in the NFL, or at least there shouldn't no, be. No, when should I go able, long-term, it's a three-year process. Two three or three year, years. Yeah, it's a three-year process. Always. Yeah. But when you're talking two or three years, that is a long time in the NFL. So maybe you do think... Uh, 
we can do without AJ Green for the next couple years as we look. Let's try to get some something for him and, and move forward that way. I, it, it started dawning on me more and more the, the deeper this has gone without him and the fact that the wide receivers are playing pretty well and the fact it's going to cost you a lot of money for a luxury item in a rebuilding process. Why, why sink that? That's almost sunk cost. And it sucks because I love, I think A.J. Green has been the consummate pro, and he's been the consummate performer. And if he hadn't gotten hurt, I could make a very strong case he's a Hall of Famer, and you still might be able to make that case. I think the injuries have kind of sapped a little bit of that. But he's been great. He's been great in every way, shape, or form. He's played. He's, he's actually tried to play through some injury. Um, but, yeah, this starts to pile up, and then you start to go, okay, he's – He's earned whatever money he's looking for moving forward as a oh, free yeah. agent. He's totally worth it. But do do, do the Bengals is that, need is to that sunk it. cost for us as a franchise? Yeah. And I know I've deviated off your question on the topic, but it's something no, that's it's been on my mind. Something I got to write here before long. And again, I might be jumping the gun on this, but the trade deadline is is looming quickly. It's October 29th, I believe. By the time AJ gets back, I mean he's not back this week. That that was already made clear on Monday that he's not going to play this week. That maybe maybe Arizona is the next one. That's October fifth, and then you know you're at the point where maybe he gets a couple of games on the field and he shows some other teams that he's still the AJ Green of old, and you can get a, a decent thing for him by the deadline. Maybe maybe you really strongly consider that. I I I would have to if it was me. Let's say they're one and seven at at the trade deadline, and that's the bye week too. I mean, they almost coincide for the Bengals, right? Yeah, it is because it's after week right. eight th- this year. So. Let's say they're one and seven. Um, the Patriots they they just lost Antonio Brown. Right. They need a receiver. Right. Let's say they've got something on the defensive end that they can offer or offer you. I'll give you. I take one of your linebackers. Are you are you not looking to trade AJ Green? I think that's got to be very I think you tempting have to. for the I th- Bengals. I think you have to really consider it. If you could get a, a linebacker that's serviceable and a second round pick. I think you trade AJ yeah, Green. I mean, it has to be a good deal, I guess. But I, I think you have to really strongly consider. It. I, I don't I know, even know if it has to be. That I, good I know of a deal. somebody right now is listening to this and yelling that I'm nuts, and and there's no way you would do that. You got to look at this in a long term picture, and and I just don't know if you're sinking another three years and and double digits of millions of dollars into an aging wide receiver if it's going to be a rebuild. And I got to tell you, it's going to be a little bit of one. You're going to go through this. Yeah, I d- here's the thing. Ideally, maybe it, by year three, you know, if you're counting this as year one, year yes. one, next year they're still down, and then by year three, maybe you're competitive again. But to do that, you're going to need to you're move have to make pieces tough decisions. in and out. Yes. And I don't think that, that involves keeping A.J. Green because you're either going to need that money or you're going to need to move him for some extra pieces. I, I, I agree with you. Again, I know I'm jumping the gun probably a little bit on it, but uh, yeah, and it goes back to your question of um, – and I know there's some some Marvin Lewis people because I've gotten the tweets of them of of the whole you know you got what you wish for people. Um, look, the, the change had to happen. I'll, that 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 aside, Marvin did a lot of good things, but it was time for change. So let's let's clear that part of it up. That it was time for a change. I still don't know if Zach Taylor can be a head coach or the staff can coach. I'm starting to think that they can a little bit, but I'm also starting to look and go. Look, guys, you, you go back to last year, and yeah, I know injuries took the toll and all those things, but you went one and seven in your last eight games. You went. Two, two and nine in your last eleven games. You want to add that up to this year? That's two and twelve in the last fourteen. That's one in uh, one in ten in the last eleven. That starts to make me look and go, yeah, yeah. The staff change had to happen for everybody, 
but the last year's team stunk. The too. personnel just isn't good enough, yeah. and and that's where you have to get to the reality of it. The personnel simply is not good enough, and that requires then to draft. And they, the drafts have cost them lately. I mean, I think Duke Tobin needs to come under some scrutiny here. Oh, sure. The, the drafts and the, and the scouting of these guys. I mean, look at this draft. Here's another. I can't blame him for injuries. Okay, Jonah Williams. Yeah, some of them's we're, been injury. We're, we're, put, we're putting that to the side, right? Jonah Williams to the side. But you cut your third round pick from last year, who couldn't get on the field last year. Third round picks in this league, I got to tell you, third round picks need to start by about year two. I mean, yeah. not all of them, but you can't keep missing on all of them. You seem yeah. to keep missing on all your third round picks. Okay, your second round pick this year, Drew Sample, best blocking tight end in the draft. Where is he? Where is he? Get it? Can we get him we on the field? We can't run the ball at all. Yeah. So where is he? Can we get him on the field at some point? That'd be nice. That was it, and that was it. Everybody considered that a reach. And Drew Sample still might have a fine career, but. Again, you drafted him to have an impact. I said this when the, after the draft happened when we talked about it. You drafted Jonah Williams and Drew Sample to put and put Cordy Glenn at left guard because you were going to line up and power run the football behind those guys. Yeah. And then do all your play-action stuff off of that. And we thought it might work at that I, time. Right. And I, I look, the Cordy Glenn thing still is mysterious to me. Um, and Jonah Williams got hurt. That blew up your plan. And Drew Sample can't get on the field. Jermaine Pratt, your third-round pick. You have awful linebackers in front of Jermaine Pratt. He can barely get on the field. So what are we doing here, fellas? What, 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 I mean, at what point do we start to look and go, I mean, you, if you're, hey, look, I don't mind their plan of we're going to build through the draft. We're going we're gonna to sign and retain our own. We're going to have to make some tough choices occasionally, letting Kevin Zeitler go, because at some point you can't pay all of them. Somebody has to, has to go, and they don't value a guard making that kind of money. And I know that upsets some fans, and I, I got it. I, I get that part. Sure. But for the most part, they've done a good job of that. They've done a good job of drafting signing, retaining, signing the guys that they feel are core guys. Okay. If you're going to build through that, you better not miss very often in the draft. Because you're not, they, they don't do anything in free agency of major notice. John Miller's signings don't raise the needle no. any. So that's fine. If you want to have that model of, of drafting and retaining and signing your own, you better not miss. And what have they done here of late? Missed. A, missed a lot. Well, and, not, and you're missing, you're having injuries, some bad luck, stuff like that. But then you're also having... The Drew Sample picks. Like, everyone was questioning, why the heck did that happen? I, there's, um, God, I just had another one that, that escaped my mind. But there's For been, what year? Uh, oh, John Ross. John Ross, a perfect example of a pick where everyone was like, what the hell are they doing? And even Marvin Lewis didn't seem to be right. on the same page with that pick. So there have been picks the last few years where it's they're in they're still at the top of the draft i mean we look at third round pick in cincinnati as a long shot like a seventh round guy who oh well maybe he'll be able to contribute who knows i'm doing recent third round picks off the top of my head within the last five years pj dawson linebacker how much how much of an impact did he make oh huge okay tyler croft is a tight end had a a nice filling year for for tyler eifert a couple years ago but really what what did Tyler Croft do here? I think I wrote a sidebar about P.J. Dawson once for the Enquirer. Did you really? Yeah. Well, what, for what purpose? I think because he was getting going to actually play in a game, and so they were like, here's a Bengal you might never heard of before. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> really, it was like, ask him three questions. That might be the last story that's ever written about P.J. Dawson. I think Dawson. it was the one and only. Uh, Hardy Nickerson. Uh, you know, Stud. Th- th- I mean, you, you can, there's a laundry list. And so you just you can't keep with it. I mean, right now, in a perfect world... Your left tackle would be Cedric Abuehi. Your right tackle would be Jake Fisher, right? How'd that work out? Not so good. Yeah, you you just you can't keep whiffing, and that's that's and that's why we are where we are. So, and, and I think we asked the question last week too of what is this team? I, I said I thought they were somewhere between the Seattle performance and the San Francisco performance. I think that's what you saw on Sunday, right? And what did it result in? Right, another in loss. Between, yeah. Right in between, another loss. 
it's just it, it's a team that's going to win some games because there are some inferior opponents coming up, but it's not going to win many. And that's no. just, just going to tell you it's that this is not a coaching issue. This is a personnel issue. Yeah, when they play bad teams, they're, they're toss-up games. Right. They're, they'll be in them. They'll probably still lose more than they'll win, but they'll be in them. When they play a good team, they've really got no chance. No chance. None. I mean, you got to have everything go right. Yep. All right, Skinny, switching gears. After 46 years, Reds legendary broadcaster Marty Brenneman is retiring. Wait, he is? Did you hear that? I didn't know. Has that been talked about anywhere? No, we just got the press release, I think, oh, okay. last night. Right. So uh, this is hot off the press. Marty will call his last game on Thursday afternoon when the Reds host the Brewers for a business day special at 12.35 p.m. His retirement is not only a farewell of sorts to one of Cincinnati's most beloved figures, but it's also part of the end of an era in sports broadcasting. My question is, do you think we'll see more larger-than-life broadcasters like Marty Brenneman who are allowed to call the game like they saw it and essentially say whatever they want within reason? Or is this really the end of the broadcaster who is kind of bigger than the, the team? I think it's the latter. Um, and it, it's a shame because guys like that brought personality. Um, Harry Carey. Bob, Bob, Bob Uecker's still, still doing, around. Still around. I, but, I, I don't, but he's also the ultimate... Uh, you know, they call he's like, almost a parody of himself to some degree. Well, but they also call you know, like a player's coach. He's a player's broadcaster. Yes, he's yes. just he wants to be one of the guys yeah, so yeah. bad, and yes. they love him for that. Yes, um, I don't. I it it really feels like when I go around the dial on TV or radio, if I'm in a town, almost all of them sound the same anymore. Yeah. It's 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 nice voice Jim, whose voice is beautiful. But has really no personality, and it feels like I'm listening to somebody read an obituary. That's exactly that's exactly right. So that that's the issue that I see going forward is one, it's way too PC. Yes, the, the thing that Marty did that changed the game and made it so great, whether it was with Joe or Jeff Brantley, who I will say I thought was going to be a terrible hire when they brought him on. I hated him for a year and a half, and he ended up being great. just a fantastic yep. partner yep. for Marty. And the reason for that is is because Marty could, he was an ultimate fan. He never wavered from looking at the game through a fan's perspective. He he didn't care. He never decided. I have to be nicer to the coaches or the players because I've got a relationship with them. He still held them accountable the way a fan would. And he was accountable. He was always there. If he said something the day before, he was more than willing to listen to what the player had to say. I don't think he ever made it too personal. I don't I mean, think there he may either. have been a time or two where he got into a spat with the guy, but sometimes that happens yep. when you're when you're being critical. And, and let me just tell you, as as a connoisseur of play by play announcers, um, I, I always have felt lucky that I grew up listening to Kay Wood Ledford do Kentucky football and basketball and listen to Marty Brenneman do do uh, Reds games. I feel really lucky, especially when I go around the country and listen to others, that, that those are the two guys I grew up listening to. Um, technically, Marty is so good. I, I wish people understood how, how good he really is, the picture he paints. Um, I was talking to John Fay, who's covered the Reds for a long time, and John um, is one of those guys that would do the second inning where you go in and he and Marty would do a right. little banner about about the team and news and stuff. Yeah, like they do a C trend. And, or, and yeah. we were talking. John was doing some Bengal stuff now for for the Enquirer. Um, and we were talking the other day, and he said, he said, I never. He goes, I always loved Marty and knew he was good. He goes, until I started doing that second inning and 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 really got the feel of him actually talking to me, trying to call a game, and then the way he called the game and the way he follows the was able to follow the play. He said, it astounded me. I said, oh, there's no question. I, I said, rarely do you hear him make a call on a home run that all of a sudden stays in the park. I mean, unfortunately, his son does that quite often, right? Um, <laughs> right. Uh, one of my favorite calls of all time, and it's it's probably it's one that no one will think of. There, there was a time back in the, in the mid-'80s that they had acquired Buddy Bell, and Buddy went through this phase defensively where every ground ball to him, he was – making diving stops left and right. It was just it was like a two week spectacular play after spectacular play. And some of it I 
back when not every game was on TV. So when I'm listening to the radio, and I could picture because I've been watching Buddy Bell on highlights or on games making these plays the last few days, and it was here's a smash to third, Bell diving, stopping, getting up, throwing, got him. And I could picture the whole thing, Bell diving, stopping, getting up, throwing, got him. I mean, all that, you can picture exactly how that play unfolded. That's how good he is and was. And I'm, I'm, I think we're going to miss some of that. Yeah, and I think, you know, going back to that, that fan's perspective that he brought was what made it so unique from a broadcast perspective was not only that he held guys accountable, he's critical at times, which towards the later part of his career at times was too much for me. I thought he almost sounded jaded. Um, but it also made sort of like that that conversation like you were just talking with a friend and watching the game and ha- like almost like a podcast. Yes, like you listen yeah. to a podcast now, it was entertaining beyond what happened in the yeah, Reds game. And, and they I could be down 6 nothing, and, and you were still going like to that. listen to it. And I, I always wondered, well, you, you can't just have a guy calling play-by-play for nine innings. That, it doesn't just need to be that. It needs to be, I want to hear about the tomato plants. I want to hear about um, a funny story. I want to hear, I, I, that's me personally. I don't think most fans did. I think it's what made it, honestly, dude, I still to this day, I like watching games on TV. I mean, I've grown up in the, in the era of changes from radio into television and all those things and print into internet and all of that. But I still, I enjoy, on a, on a nice night, like last night, I've got work to do. I'll take my laptop outside, make myself something to drink, and put the Reds game on the radio outside, and I don't feel like I've missed anything visually. Right. And the best part of it is, going back to what you were saying about Marty, is he can do that without losing an ounce of professionalism or skill or sharpness right. on a call. He's so good technically and so professional and still has that voice that sounds makes it have that big game feel without being, like you were calling, nice voice Fred who's always in a shtick and never right. sounds like a human. Right. And that's such a hard thing to do. Like, I can fathom one or the other. Like, I think, you know, you and I can put ourselves in the mi- the mindset of, okay, we're going to BS, we're going to bust balls, and, and we're going to have a lot of fun and make an entertaining broadcast. But I could never do that and also sound super professional over the top yeah, the way he that, can still sound. Yes. And you want him calling every big moment. Ken Griffey Jr. is going to request that he calls every at-bat as he's chasing 500th home run. Things like that. Yep. It's hard to imagine a guy being able to weave both so perfectly the way he did. And, I mean, I just really think the fact that people are so soft now and honestly can't take criticism and will get into a fight on social media over it and it'll be a big thing and media will blow it up means we will never see another broadcaster be critical the way Marty was. Right. And and because of that, I don't think you'll ever see a broadcaster that sticks around for 45 or 50 years because none of them will be beloved enough. None yeah. of them will be that interesting right. to listen to. They no, all I, sound generic. I agree with that. It, it, it is. It's, it's going to be something I'll, I'll miss because, uh, I mean, I moved back here. Um, I was born in Cincinnati. I moved out of here for a few years. My dad worked for the airline, so we lived in a couple other places. And we moved back here. We moved back here in the summer of 1974 um, when Marty got hired. Um, I don't recall listening to him much that year, but I do remember obviously the 75 season. That's when I started figuring out who the play-by-play guy was. So he's been the voice literally of my whole life almost. Right. <laughs> um, from, from childhood to now um, I'm an AARP member, for goodness sake. So um, that's the voice I know. I, uh, that's, that's Reds baseball to me. Uh, you, you mentioned the one with Buddy Bell. I One of my favorites was always Brandon Phillips was playing second base, and it was a night that he was doing a game with Tom. It was kind of early on in Tom's career, yeah. I think. And, uh, you know, sharply hit ball. Phillips fields it cleanly. He's got enough time. He checks the Bud Selig signature on the ball and flips it on over to first for the out. And as he finishes it, Tom goes, that's why you're Hall of Famer, Dad. That's why you're a <laughs> Hall of good. Famer. And it was true because it was just like it was such a good but yep. random thing to say. Yep. It's like described how much time Brandon Phillips was just standing and, 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 and you've seen guys, looking at that yeah, ball absolutely. And flipping it over yep. there. Just beautiful call. Yeah, I'm going to miss Martin. Yep. 
Sticking with the Reds, starter Trevor Bauer talked in circles to reporters for over 12 minutes Sunday after his most recent loss, in which he gave up four runs in the first inning and allowed five runs on six hits over seven. During a somewhat bizarre search for answers, Bauer even said, quote, I don't know. I've been a lot happier here, so maybe I should find ways to be miserable at the field and I'd pitch better. Skinny, my question is, how confident do you feel that the Reds' acquisition of Trevor Bauer at the trade deadline is going to pay off for this team in the long run? I wonder for Trevor Bauer if this if this wasn't just being with a team that's not in a playoff race. He's been with teams in playoff races. Your focus is maybe a little bit sharper. Um, he did pitch with an edge in Cleveland. It doesn't seem like he's pitching with an edge here. and Maybe there's some of that. So maybe... Next year when you start and there's a sense of urgency at the start of a season to get off to a good start, all those things, maybe then we see the Trevor Bauer we saw in in, in Cleveland. I still like the trade. I think it was the right trade to make. Um, He's not pitched to the back of his baseball card, and maybe you just look and go, this is a a two-month blip in in an otherwise pretty good career, and he resurrects that next season. Um, Yeah, it's hard for me to, 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 to quote Trevor Bauer. I don't know. I mean, I don't. I If he's searching for answers, I sure as hell don't have the answer. Is there... Any major league team with two bigger psychological weirdos than Joey Votto and Trevor Bauer? <laughs> um, I'm sure you could search search high and far, and you I probably would find them. I but, don't know. We've seen but two not, more yeah. outspoken baseball players in a yeah. long time that are this analytical and weird when they talk. I mean, he talked in circles for hours about how everything he was doing is exactly how he's supposed to be doing. He was citing the speed of his pitches, the stats of his pitches, how many of each he was throwing, where they were being located, and then just saying... And sometimes there is, believe it or not, and this is what the analytics do a pretty good job, sometimes there's just bad luck. Sometimes you throw the exact pitch and a guy who who hasn't hit it 20 times hits it. Well, and and what, it's all piling up on him right now. That's what he seemed to be getting at, but he didn't want to say that as an excuse. And he just said, look, I don't know what to do because... Everything I'm doing is right. My process feels perfect, and I'm getting terrible results. The guys keep hitting out of the ballpark in the same inning on me, and I give up four-run inning, six-run inning, three-run inning. Right. I can't avoid the, the big inning. I, I don't know that any of this really bothers me about Trevor Bauer for next year because, one, he's a mercurial guy who seems to go back and forth. He's hot or cold on the right. mound. And off the, the, my only concern is off the mound, this guy seemed like, I don't want to call him a whack job, but he seemed like a, a weirdo. Yeah. And this is what you get from a weirdo like him. I mean, these quotes, just shut up. Just say I'm not pitching well. well. I don't know. You I, had a bad game. I, I, I kind of like it because I, I think it does, you do see a guy who's trying to search for answers and he just doesn't have them. But get out of and your own head, man. Just go you know, okay, drink maybe, or maybe, maybe smoke that. some weed or something. My God, just <laughs> shut up and get over it. Like People escape life when things are going poorly. They don't sit in the, sit in the locker room and talk to C. Trent and John Fay and Joe Kay for 13 minutes about how their process is good. I just, I, it's just a weird guy. All right, so, so, so how do you answer the question that's posed? That, that do, you th- do you think that, that it's going to pay off? I have no idea my hunches. No, it won't. Because really? because I just don't think they're going to be very good next year, especially when you're See, looking. I, 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 I still hold out belief there are nice parts. I really hold out that belief that there are I wanted th- to think that too, but I also <laughs> thought, oh, maybe you know, they, Alex Wood will get healthy and, and they'll yeah. bring him back, and now you've got three of the best pitchers in the National League. Well, it certainly looks Alex Wood is not yes, going to be a part of this team I, I, next year. I would, I would agree with so that. So now you've only got two pitchers, and while Sonny Gray has been unbelievable this yeah, year, can he he's replicate also that? playing way above what yeah. you ever expected him to do. So next year there's a decent chance he comes back to earth. And meanwhile, Trevor Bauer is totally struggling right now. Now, 
Hopefully, he gets back to the baseball and card. And twenty-five million dollar albatross hanging around your neck at first base. Well, there's still Joey Votto as well. So please retire. My, my my issue is, yeah, I don't think it's going to work because I don't think they're going to be that good next year. He's going to be around for one more year, and almost regardless of what happens, he probably if the Reds aren't any good, he probably won't be re-signing the following season. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to hold out the hope that that starting from scratch is going to be good for everybody. It, it just this whole season has felt like you've been on the treadmill and you're trying to catch back up to the 500 mark. And every time you take the two steps forward, you take a little bit of a breath and the treadmill kicks you back to the start. I mean, since the one and eight start, it has just felt like an uphill climb the whole way that they could never quite get to the end of it. So maybe after this season, we all decompress, they all decompress, and you start from scratch. You add some parts that you need to add. And I still think that it's you're not a long way off from, from competing. I really believe that. I mean, but you just said add some parts that you need to add. The problem is there's a few parts they need to add, and what do you realistically think they're going to be able to do I don't this offseason that's been so different from all these other offseasons where they haven't done I much? I would tell you this. I don't know, but you better do it. Yeah, but the problem is... They've given up a lot of their collateral to trade away to try to get these pieces. They they did that to get Trevor Bauer. They did that to get Kemp and Puig and, and Wood. So, I mean, that's the other thing. Some of the guys they traded away are doing pretty well since they traded them away. So you did seem like you gave something up here this yeah. year for all these trades. And, and now you don't have a whole lot to show for it. So I think you better hope you're pretty good next year. Yes. All right. It's time to get into our betting lines. Skinny, last week I was 9-3. and three. You were six and six, which means you've taken the lead. I hurdled you by a game after your smoking hot start. Man, I'm 29 and 18 overall. You're 28 and 19, so we're both about 60 percent right now. That's pretty good. That, that's the, I mean, if you can bet 60 percent doing this, you're going to make a little bit of coin. Mixing between random college football games and NFL games that's that true. we're not necessarily following that's all correct. that well. That's correct. So I mean, you look at some of these other experts across, you know, Sports Illustrated. These guys have losing records right now in week four. We're we're hitting at sixty percent, so you might just want to start following us at this point. We'll start on Saturday at noon. Buffalo is at Miami. That game is a pick'em now. It started off Miami was the favorites. Right. It's a pick'em now. The total in that game is fifty. Where are you at on that one? Um, I'm definitely going the over. Buffalo actually, I think, is good enough offensively. Miami defensively um, is beat up a little bit. Ah, but I'm going to take the the Red Hawks and the over. I'll go Miami thirty-one twenty-seven. I'm going to go Buffalo. Wow, there, there's a shock. Thirty-eight. Miami 28, so I'm going Buffalo and, and the, the over. over. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're going to always pick against Miami. What, what Do you remember what score you officially picked for that last week? Let me let me see if I've got that one. That, I don't know if I wrote the score down. I think I just wrote who you picked down. Yeah. And you know what? I was too conservative. Ohio State beat oh, by oh, more I, than Oh, I know, because I, I was thinking, I was wondering if you'd made a 72 to nothing projection in that game, because if you did, you're I damn close. Yeah, I should have. I'd never guessed the five. And I would have blown you up for making such an outlandish prediction, and then, yeah, it was pretty close to 72 to nothing. They did lead 5 nothing. I know. I was I was a bit nervous for a second. No, I, 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 I when I, I flew up to Buffalo, obviously for this weekend, and I I, uh, I landed. I got off the plane at like quarter to four. By the time I got my own car, four o'clock, and I decided it's a nice day. I'm like, you know what? I've never been to Ni- Niagara Falls. I'm gonna drive up to Niagara Falls, get a cop- couple college games on the radio, some college stuff. So first score I heard Miami five nothing late first quarter. I went, holy cow! What in the world is going on? <laughs> so I went up and heard. By the time I think I got out of the car, it was fourteen to five Ohio State. I'm like, they righted the ship. Blah blah blah. Went to the falls, was there for about an hour or so, got back in my car. And by the time I got back in my car, I believe it was 49 to 5 and climbing. And I thought it happened quick. quick. Yes. Well, because I went from, I had 
Ohio State needed to cover like 39 and the over in that game. Yeah, because that was and a big was, number, right? When it was 5 nothing late in the first quarter, I was not feeling great. And then by midway through the second quarter, I was like, oh, we're good. Yeah. We're totally fine. Wow. I also sweated out Alabama covering 38 and a half. So well, I'm pretty much an idiot right I, now. I was, but I want them. I was talking to a friend of mine that had a, had a parlay that involved Alabama. And I was, I was talking to him as I was boarding a plane. A guy in front of me overheard me a little bit. He goes, he goes did you take Alabama? I said, no, my buddy did. He said, uh, he said I'm a Vandy guy. And I he had a backpack on. I said, he said, yeah, he goes, he goes, I like to wager a little bit. He said, I, I can't take Alabama. I said, why, just because you don't like him? He goes, no. He goes, Saban, he just doesn't rub it in like some other coaches do. And I said, that's a good point. And if you think about it, I mean, the New Mexico State game, they could have won that 100 to nothing, right? Yeah. New Mexico State somehow covered. And I kept looking at that line. I got off the plane and saw that they had covered, and I felt good for my friend. But I thought, man, this guy's right. They, they, a lot of times that big number in Bama, it's not the right thing to take. Yeah, well, with Ohio State, it's the exact it is. opposite. It's exact they opposite. always run Because they sub in their, their second string early, yes. but then they let their second string ball yes. out. Yeah, like, which is fine. Which is fine. I, I, I got no problem with I that. I love that. You got to have the backup quarterback yeah, ready. Absolutely. You never know. Absolutely right. All right, moving Saturday at 5 p.m., we've got UC at Marshall. The Bearcats are favored by three and the hook. Total in that game is 47. Um. I'm just sticking to the Marshall, the way it played at Boise. The, their offense didn't do a whole lot, but man, defensively they were good. And Boise's good. I'm telling you, Boise's really good. Um, and Marshall held them to 14 points, and they lost 14 to seven. I think the week off helped you see a lot. They had some guys they needed to heal up. Des Ritter needed a week off with that shoulder. I, I don't know if it fully heals, but he needed a week off and a week for everybody to decompress. Because I think the whole run up was. This is going to be a magical season. We're going to run the, We're going to beat Ohio State and run the table and be Central Florida. No, you weren't. Okay, you weren't. Right. And if I'd have told you at the bye week, UC's two and one. What would you say? Good. Okay. But yeah. it was a weird two and one. You know, the UCLA game didn't look all that great. Didn't look great for a quarter and a half against Miami. Ohio State. I thought the defense did some things, but your offense just got it shoved up their chance, rear yeah. end. So a chance for everybody just to kind of chill for a second. Hey, two and one. We've done some good things. Get healthy. Go to Marshall. So I think they needed the week off. But I think Marshall's good enough. I, I, I'm going to go UC to win, but that hook scares me. I'll go Bearcats 27-24, so I'm going to go UC in the over. Oh, we're close on this one. I've got UC 27. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm going, actually, I'm going to UC winning, but Marshall covering the number. Sorry. Okay, yeah. I've got UC 27. I'm going to have them covering. I've got Marshall 21 here, so okay. still hitting the over on that number. I'm with you, though. I think UC, they... Had they played really well and then you know lost to Ohio State and then been following us up with a two and one, they felt really good about themselves and it was right after the Ohio State game. I'd be more concerned, but I do feel like they they probably feel right now heading into that bye week that they hadn't played good football yet. I feel like they really they, they they're coming into this one feeling like they need a big game. They need to play well. I think they're going to fire on all cylinders. I, I like UC in this one, um, which moves us to Saturday at seven thirty. We've got Kentucky at South Carolina. The Gamecocks are favored by three in that game. The total is 50 and a half. Well, Sawyer Smith's supposed to play. Um, they, he got banged up in the last game. I, I, think the, I think the Mississippi State game was twofold. The Mississippi State was kind of desperate. They, they had not played great, and then they were just coming off a loss to Kansas State. They're, they're a legitimate eight-win team probably, so that's kind of a toss-up game. Kentucky got off to a bad start. Um, you know, coming off the Florida game, a lot of a lot of things against. I, I think this is the place to bounce back, uh, and I, I I don't think South Carolina is good. I don't think a lot of points here. I'll go Kentucky, Kentucky twenty four nineteen. So I got Kentucky covering obviously with the outright win and it going under. I think the under is a safe player. We're right on it. I've got UK twenty four, South Carolina twenty. Okay, so I've got UK. I got him missing an extra point. Well. I got him, I got him going for two, <laughs> and they didn't make it. You got him kicking the extra point, and That's then they're right. they're questioning why did he kick the extra point. 
That's Saturday at 7.30. We've got Ohio State at Nebraska. The total is 67 in that game. The Buckeyes are favored by 17 and a half. And let me just go first on this one. Yes, you can. I yes. could not like Ohio State anymore in this game. I think... You had a lot of people. You're starting to hear them finally say that the, the, the murmurs are coming. This this Ohio State team is better than last year's. Um, I'm Ryan, starting to wonder that myself. Ryan Day's got the Buckeyes playing better than Urban did. This is the first chance he, Ryan Day, really gets to prove that he's got these Buckeyes playing better than Urban because last year they really struggled at home against Nebraska. It was a seven-point game. I think Vegas is trying to sucker you in with that extra half a point. I, I know, and I feel like I'm going to get suckered in here in a minute. And, and there's no way to me that Ohio State doesn't cover this by three touchdowns. I, I think they roll in this one. I'm going to go OSU 63, Nebraska 21. This Nebraska team gave up 38 points to Illinois last yeah, I know week. did. Illinois sucks. Uh, blew a lead against Colorado. Um, yeah, this struggled in their terrible. opener against South Alabama. Yeah, I, I think I think you start with OSU scoring a bunch of points. Yeah, but the play here is the over, by the way. Yeah, the play is the over. But man, that hook scares the daylights out of me. Um, I'm, I'm gonna. That's what they want you to think. I know. I'm gonna go Ohio State fifty-two to twenty-four. So I'll go Ohio State covering and it going going over by a, a ten-point margin. Yeah. Um, that hook didn't scare you that much. It, it did because I, I could also see I forty-five twenty-eight was in my mind, but then I'm thinking Nebraska's not scoring twenty-eight. They ain't scoring twenty-eight. And twenty-four is probably a stretch. So yeah, I'm, I, yeah. The, I guess the hook didn't scare me as much as I thought it did. So I'll go Ohio State and the over as well. All right, let's switch to our NFL line. Starting with our Thursday night game, we've got Philly at Green Bay. The Packers are favored by four and a half. The total is forty-five and a half. Yeah, Philly's banged up a little bit. They, they're disappointing to me. I, I, I thought this was a Super Bowl type team, and they're off to a one and two start. And that defense doesn't look the same. to it me. It does not. Um, you know, I thought they would. I thought they would easily write the ship this last weekend against Detroit, and they didn't. And it wasn't even really close. Detroit really kind of took control of that game early and never gave up control of that game. Um, that said, man, desperate teams on a short week, and it, it's it's a team that has to go on the road. That's usually not the way to go. This line feels small to me, which means I think Vegas tries to sucker you again. I'm going to go Green Bay in a in a barn burner, thirty one, thirty. Man, we are. We're picking some similar scores here, but I disagree a little bit on this one. I think Green Bay... And usually offenses don't show up on Thursday night, so I'm probably way off my rocker here. I think Green Bay's defense is better than I expected. You're probably right. And they've been carrying them to this point. I think the new-look offense at Green Bay is it's coming together. They looked a little bit better last That's week. 27 last week. I think they're ready to kind of explode here. And, and again, I do not think that Philly defense is what we expected to be coming into the year. I've got Green Bay 31 Philly 17, so I've got Green Bay to cover and the over. All right, so I got uh, Philly covering, Green Bay winning outright, and we both we both do have the over in that game. All right, then Sunday night, 820, we've got Dallas at New Orleans. The Cowboys are favored by 2.5. The total in that game is 47. I think Dallas is really good. I'll give New Orleans this. I, 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 I really thought that they would go into Seattle and get boat raced. I didn't think they'd be able to handle this quarterback change all that well. Look, they got a punt return for a touchdown early in that one. Um, got a couple turnovers as well, so that helped. And maybe I'm over my skis on Seattle. That maybe they really aren't very good. I um, think I mean, that their two, two wins are over the Bengals by a, by a nudge and by C, uh, against uh, Ben Roethlisberger less. Uh, at least at a point in the game, see, uh, Pittsburgh team, uh, which hasn't won a game. So um, I think Dallas is really good. The place is going to be rocking. I, I hate to take a road team in this game uh, because of, of the atmosphere, but uh, I'm, I'm a big believer now that Dallas is good. I'm going to go Cowboys 27. No, I can't do 20. That'd be on them. Let's go 27-21 Cowboys. So the Cowboys and the over in this one. Yeah, I'm going Cowboys 24 
Saints 21. So, so you're going under. Yeah, so it's under, and I've actually got, got Dallas covering. Da- got Dallas covering by the half a point. Um, if New, the New Orleans quarterback situation is big, but anytime they're at home, they're tough, I think. They worry me whenever they're at home. Agreed. And, and, so. and I think here's the thing to me, though, too. That's where Vegas is really good, right? And I, I sometimes you got to sometimes you almost don't even have to look at you got to look more at the number than who's playing where and all that stuff, right? Because you would think New Orleans coming off the win in Seattle, everybody would think, man, New Orleans really good, and yet they're a dog at home, right? A dog at home, really? Yep, and that's and that's what, exactly what Vegas wants you to see. Yes, so um, I f- I feel good about this one. I, think, I do too. I think Dallas is going to win this. I think one. Really, I think it's pretty clear, but. Anytime the Saints are at home, no doubt. they scare me. No doubt. All right, and that you know the final game of this week will include Cincinnati because right. they are the Monday night game at eight fifteen. The Bengals are at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is favored by four points. The total in that game is forty three and a half. Who do you like? Um, I'm going to take the Bengals. They played good in both of their road games. Wow. Um, you know, Pittsburgh defensively. I mean, San Francisco turned the ball over five times, and Pittsburgh still couldn't win that game. Same as you have five takeaways and you still couldn't win. Mason Rudolph, I think, is okay, but they've got a lot of issues. And, and you're piling now a young quarterback making his second start on top of all of that. Um, you know, Mika Fitzpatrick did have an interception in that game, so he added some value to that defense. But it still has a, a bunch of holes to me. I'm going to go Bengals. I think they get a, get some things right in this one. I'll go Bengals twenty four, Steelers twenty. Yeah, both of these teams are and listen of, of late of, of, of late. Um, Pittsburgh is on this series, but fresh start. I think Pittsburgh got under Marvin Lewis's skin, and I think he the whole week he treated in a weird way, not in a good way, differently. I think he, he got uptight. I think it carried over to his players, and the more they lost, the more uptight he got, and the more they, they lost, the more yep, the more uptight he got. And I think, I think in this case, I, I think the Bengals right this. I think you get, I, I, you, you, I think you get Cordy Glenn back this week. I think I'm saying that with a, I think allegedly. question mark allegedly. Um, so I'll, I'll go Bengals twenty four twenty. I, I do not think the Bengals win this game, but I do think they'll cover the spread. I think it's going to be close. I think both of these teams stink. I just I think the Steelers are better defensively than the Bengals, even though neither of them are very good. I just can't pick this Bengals team to actually close out a game and win, especially when you saw what they were able to do, come back, take the lead last week, and the defense has, I mean, not a prayer of getting a stop at the end of the game when... Had a blown coverage. Third straight game with right. a huge blown coverage. It just was, it was inevitable. You knew it was coming from a fan's perspective. So I'm going to go Pittsburgh 27, Cincinnati 24. The Bengals cover, and it hits the over, but Pittsburgh wins the game. All right, we'll see how we do. And again, Rick, to this point of the season, leading in their picks, he's 29 and 18, and I am 28 and 19. All right, before we move on to the next topic, I do got to bring... This whole 89 cent parlay guy... Is it legit? Well, here, here's the thing. He did it on um, Five Dimes betting website. And Five Dimes is notorious for being a shady, bit of a shady website that hasn't paid people out or made it impossible to actually get the payout. And for those who don't know, a guy supposedly had a 20-team parlay. 89 cents was the bet to win a half a million dollars, correct? Right. He needed the Washington Redskins to, to win. finish it off. He, he, and he, didn't, he, he bet everything else weird. He bet everything else on the spreads, and he bet, I think, that game on the money line for Washington just to win the game. Right. And they didn't. And they didn't. But is it is it legit? I mean, do you really believe that this this actually happened? Well, I think he definitely filed the bet. I, I, okay. I, I saw right. the ticket, and they were all marked whether they won or lost okay. on the side. So the only way to do that is to have it put in yeah. through the website, and it's checking them as they go. So I do think that was real, but many p- people pointed out that, like, good luck getting five dimes to well, pay $500,000. Here's my other question. There's no way he didn't hedge that, right? 
you would think uh, the my only issue though is a guy who's making 89 cent parlay bets now granted it's a 20 team 20 team bet so he, it's just for fun anyways but if you're making an 89 cent bet that screams of like college kid or 22 year old who okay, doesn't have much I, I'm money i'm making every phone call i can to i'm i'm taking whatever credit card i can i'm going to my parents and going listen put up everything you got. I cannot lose. This is literally, I cannot lose in this scenario. And maybe you only scratch together $67,000. You cannot lose in that scenario. I agree. Uh, The only issue is Is if they don't pay the 500,000, right? You you, you could be out there and then you've got, you know, you might have a, you might have a hard time selling it to one of your family members with money that, Hey, this dark website that, uh, has a bad reputation. If you need to go to Hollywood casino or go to, uh, go to, go to Bill. Now now you have a $5 minimum there. You can't do your 89, yeah, I know. parlay for 500 grand, but still. Is that what the minimum is? I wasn't sure what the minimum is. Yeah, five, $5 bets at, okay. at Hollywood in, in the sports book. But yeah, the, the 89 cent parlay for 500 grand would have just been an unbelievable story. Wow. I almost feel like. I feel sad if he. But I, I, you had to avenge that, didn't you? You had to have. But again, the fact that it was on that weird website would make me worry that he didn't, or at least didn't do it enough. Because oh. you're right, if you're in that situation, you got to go at least 200 grand if you can find it, right? No question. Well, how much? How much do you hedge that bet if, if it's you and I, you've got money's no object? Probably half of it, two hundred fifty thousand. Two fifty. Yeah, I was thinking that's probably about where I'd be too. Because you're winning two fifty either way, right? You're winning yeah. five hundred minus the two fifty and two. Well, it would just suck you to win cut two. It in you half. win two hundred and forty nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars and eleven cents because of your eighty nine cent bet. But yes, I'd right. yeah, half of it, two hundred fifty. I'd be more than satisfied with that. I'm not letting. I am not letting that ride on the Washington Redskins for a half a million dollars. No chance. Not if it's the Washington Redskins versus the Bears. Yeah. Ne- neither way. Regardless of which way I had it, yes. I bet on the Bears. But regardless of which way I had that bet, there's no way I'm letting it ride without hedging. It. Exactly. So I'm, I'm, you, if you were guaranteeing me that after that when I woke up on Tuesday morning that I was going to be a half a million dollars richer, no matter what happened in the Monday night game. I'm taking that. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't know what the taxes look like on that, but I'd be happy to pay them. I'd be happy to pay them, too. Time to go national now, Skinny. It was reported on Monday that University of Houston starting quarterback De'Eric King would be leaving the team four games into the season to take a redshirt year and grad transfer somewhere else in 2020. The story then went from a bit odd to even more strange when it was later announced that King and Cougars receiver Keith Corbin would leave the active roster in redshirt but remain at Houston. Cincinnati will travel to Houston to play the Cougars on October 12th. What do you make of the interesting saga surrounding Houston quarterback D.R. King? Well, it sure helps the Bearcats when they go there, for sure, because D.R. King is a, is, a, is a dynamic athlete. I don't know if he's a great quarterback or not, but no, he's but a dynamic athlete, and, and yep. Keith Corbin is, is a good wide receiver. There's a lot of layers to it. I think, A, this, this four-game redshirt rule that came about where guys can play four games and then you make a decision um, on whether you can redshirt them or not, I, I think is a great rule. The intent was to let freshmen get their feet wet, figure out – Based on maybe some attrition and injuries, um, if if you needed those guys to go ahead and play that season, or maybe some guys had earned some playing time, or just to get feet wet and go, all right, we got you in some games, we saw what you could do, we're going to redshirt you, and I think it's I think I think the rule, the intent of that rule is is great. I think it also takes some of the onus off the coaches to have to say decide for a guy ahead of, before the year yes. starts and say, hey, you have no chance of playing for us. We yes. want you to redshirt. Yeah. Let the kid find out. Or oh, I'm never going to get in. Or the flip side is you get a rash of injuries and you have at the end of the year you have. To to have freshmen play a couple of games right. just to fill out your roster you and can play them at the you, end you, of the bur- you burn their freshman year because of that. That kind of protects you from from, from some of that too. So I, I like the rule. But now we got guys using the loophole of it. Um, you know, Kelly Bryant did it last year after he got his loss to starting quarterback job at uh, at Clemson. He decided I'm out. I'll take my red shirt year this year. I'll, I'll I'll go ahead and transfer to Missouri and be able to play. So maybe they have to close the loophole of it. I think a couple of things. I don't think there's any way in hell. 
Derek King and Keith Carson come back and play for Houston next year. I, there's no way, right? There's no, there is no way you quit on your teammates this year and come back and tell those teammates, "Hey, I'm your guy. I'm back." That's my thing. I I think because he needs to graduate at Houston still, and this is so early in the year that they probably made a pitch and said, "Hey, we need you. We need you to stay here. You can't leave without graduating." And so he said, "Okay, you're right." I'll, I'll play by your rules. I'm going to stay here. I'll be back next year. Let's get this thing figured out. Let's graduate. And the second he gets that deployment, everything figured out, he's, he's going to give them double birds and yes. enter the transfer yeah, portal. I, I, I'm with you. I don't see any way you leave your team four games in the year, and the next year you come right back and say, all right, I'm ready to ball out, guys. Let's do this thing. Yeah. Here we go. And and look, if, if for whatever reason he had a conflict with the new head coach, Dana Holgerson, and they just weren't on the same page, that's fine. That's okay. Yeah, Holgerson going to get fired between I don't, now and then? Yeah, and also I don't play if the kid all of a sudden four games in knows the rule and the relationship with the head coach and whatever they're doing offensively isn't working. Okay, that's your prerogative. Okay, you play by the rules. Take your four games, red shirt, get up. You can't. There's no way you can come back. No, there's no way you can come back. Hey, 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 Frank, Jim, Ted, look, you guys sucked last year, but I think you'll be fine this year. I think yeah. we can get this thing working now. I mean, I just I don't see any way that works. But I do think. What, what do you think about them closing the loophole on, or do you think just keep it wide open as it is? No, I think it, I, I think it's fine. I mean. You'll you'll have situations like this, and that sucks. But that's a you know that this could be on the coaches, this could be on the university, this could be on the kid, this could be on his dad. I don't know who's who's at fault for this, or if anyone's at fault. Maybe maybe this is all going to work out. Maybe he really is going to redshirt this year. Dana Holgerson said, "Hey, I think that's a good idea. We're we'll going to be much better next yeah. year. Look at all these freshman weapons we have maybe. right now. We've got another recruiting class coming in. Maybe that's what he's being told, and it's all going to work out for them." So, no, I don't think I he just needs don't know to how you eliminated. go back to your teammates, though. I don't I, look. I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. I don't see how it works out, but I don't think there's any reason it needs to be eliminated. Okay. If this is what these, these people, well, I don't want to eliminate. Do, I'm just talking about the, the loophole of it because I, 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 I think I like the red shirt. I think the intent of it was for freshmen. Right, I mean that was the intent of this. Uh, maybe, but I don't see there's. I don't think there's any reason you shouldn't be allowed to do it as an older player. Okay, either. all right, I fair mean, enough. Like, guys are figuring ways to make all these rules work for them, and I'm all for that because college coaches are absolutely and have absolutely no been doubt. making all the rules work for them yeah, for a long time. So that's right. I'm fine if Holgerson has to figure out some uh, some recruiting plans or a grad transfer plan of his own to fill the quarterback position the next couple of years because he's losing Derek King. Yeah, no, I. It's just interesting to me that that this happens and says he's coming back, and I just I'm not buying the. Fact I'm not buying that, that, that either. That's, that's I'm with you. Happen. I don't think there's any chance he yep. ends up back at Houston. All right, FS1 had the Friday night game with number ten Utah at USC, which brought former Trojans Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart back to the Los Angeles Coliseum. But it was their colleague Urban Meyer who drew the most attention from USC fans. ESPN's Adam Rittenberg tweeted out a video of USC fans chanting "Hire Urban" during the FS1 pregame show while all those guys were on set. USC won the game 30-23 to move to 3-1 and on the season. Fourth-year head coach Clay Helton is now 35-18 and overall as a head coach and has led the Trojans to one Pac-12 South Conference title in 2017. My question for you, Skinny, is do you think Urban Meyer will be the next head coach at USC? I've thought it all along. I, I thought it was going to happen. We said it last year, yeah, though, when last he year. first started uh, yeah. acting like he was having migraines. Yeah, I, I kind of feel for Clay Helton here a little bit. Um, I mean, honestly, his team's actually playing pretty well right uh, now. Right now, the, the thing yeah. is, is he's had some time. I yes. would feel really bad for him if he was like a two, second year head coach. Well, and the and the and the one buffer that that is was was helping him maybe retain his job was Lynn Swan, the athletic director, and Lynn Swan is no longer the Gone athletic director. The- so that does, I think, open the door clearly for for someone to be the head coach. And they're foolish if they don't make a run for Urban Meyer, and they're going to throw a boatload of cash at him. And if you're Urban Meyer, your ego is, I did this. At, look, look what I did at Utah. Look what I did at Florida. 
I want a title there. I want a title at, at, at Ohio State. So two of, I mean, I think you lumped Florida at least in the last 25 years into arguably one of the 10 best programs in college football. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. so I took one of the top, maybe top 15 program, top 10 even in the last 25 years. I took them to a title at least one time. I took Ohio State to, to a title. And I got a chance to do it at USC. Man, I'm a legend if I do that. And I'm going to get a bunch of money. Yeah, and I mean, he's already you know one of the best college football coaches ever. I think everyone would agree no with question. that. But you look at, you revive a historic franchise in the SEC with Florida. You revive a historic franchise in the Big Ten with Ohio State. But by the way, the SEC was down when he did it at Florida. The Big Ten was down when he did it at Ohio he's State. He's still a hell of a coach. He's still a hell of a coach, but I'm just saying, this is them. Oh, look at, look at the Pac-12 right now. Pac-12 stinks right now. This is going to be an easy job for him to come in, turn this USC program around in a year or two yeah, with a no, good recruiting class, absolutely. and he'll be on top within two years if he takes this job. I have no doubt that's going to happen. I had no doubt it was going to happen middle of last year or earlier when we first saw him start holding his head and acting like things were going badly for him on the sideline. Do you think there would be any pause on USC's side just because of his reputation of what he's been willing to overlook and all of those things? No, because at the end of the day, you want to win. Exactly, and, it, and it's gotten to the point with USC where they don't care to win at all cost mode now. Yes, they, there are big money people who need to win in a big way at USC because it's been too yes. long. Yeah, I, I think it's a no brainer. I, I think it's an absolute no brainer. Yeah, I think it's more a matter of when than, it, and it's probably after the season, right? Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. Skinny twenty four year old Carson King went viral last weekend when he held up a sign at ESPN College Game Day with his Venmo account on it and a message saying, "Quote: Bush Light supply needs replenished." King ended up raising over a million dollars, which he decided to donate to Children's Hospital. Bush Light also decided to give him a supply of beer. At least that was until Tuesday when a writer for the Des Moines Register wrote a feature on King and included the fact that he had sent out a few insensitive tweets when he was 16 years old. That caused Bush to sever its ties with King. The Des Moines Register has been criticized heavily on social media, and the reporter who wrote the story was doxxed and called out for his own insensitive tweets from the past. My question is, do you think this guy's old insensitive tweets were part of the story and fair game for the newspaper to report like that? I mean, I guess it's always fair game, but I, I, I think it's... Listen, I'm just going to say this, and this has happened a lot here in the last handful of years, that we're digging up old tweets from people when they were 16, 15, 14, 17 years old. And look, does it mean that person is what they are? Maybe. But do people evolve? I mean... You would hope. I'm, and, I, I feel like I'm still evolving. I, I wish I had evolved faster in some ways. I think, I'm, I think I'm a better person today than I was 10 years ago. And um, I would hope you always feel that yes, way. Like, yes. To me, I, I don't feel like that's ever going to stop. Yeah. Um, if this was a guy, if this was 24-year-old Carson King sending out a tweet after the thing on Saturday then, okay, I think that becomes extremely fair game. Of course. Um, but the fact that we're digging up stuff from 16... 16-year-olds don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, they don't. The, and by the way... Why do, we, why do we even care what a 16-year-old says in any way, shape, or form? It was noted pretty quickly that both of these tweets that were called into question, which, by the way, you can't really find anywhere, which sort of tells you what people think about them, because if people were really offended, there'd be screenshots everywhere. Um, they were Taj.0 quotes. The, the comedian Daniel yeah, Taj, who yeah. has a TV show, yeah. Taj.0, yeah. he's known for insensitive jokes. The kid at 16 years old was probably watching the show and then posted a, a tweet or two that he saw at, at thinking he was okay. going to get some laughs from his and, high school friend. Right. And even if he didn't, even if he meant what he said right. at even 16 if years from old, his own here he mind. is as a 24-year-old taking this money and donating it to a great cause. Right. When he could have taken, a, I guess in theory, he could have taken a cut of that, right? Of course. He could have taken all of it. Yes. So maybe he's evolved. 
great. That's the story. The other thing that I have a big issue with when it comes to this whole like pointing out something someone did one time and then canceling everything about them. We want to get them fired. We want to take away all their sponsorship money, everything else. It, it, it brings to light, like this idea that some of us are all perfect. Like no one is does everything right all the time. We're all good parts and bad parts, and some of the things we do are great, and other things we do are bad. At this time, when a guy is donating money, a million dollars, be it to a children's hospital, to me that it's not part of the story to dig up his tweets from when he was sixteen. No, and again, maybe he meant exactly what he said at age sixteen. Maybe he I'm still gonna, thinks I, that way. Yes, but this is not this is not part of that story. Yes. He is doing something nice right now. Or, I, or maybe he's grown up in eight years from sixteen to twenty four. Uh, yeah. Maybe he's gotten into adulthood and realized yeah, that was pretty stupid. But you know what? I was sixteen. I, I, I've I've grown up from that. I'm not doing that today. That's not who I am today. You know who I'm more bothered by than the reporter here for the Des Moines Register, Bush Light. Yes, because for, for being what? that weak need. Quit reacting yes. to everything you see online. Yes. Just, there's, there, we've seen all these stats, and it's, it's been pointed out time and time again that Twitter is an echo chamber. It's a bunch of journalists talking to each other. It's some brands trying to get their message out there, and then it's a bunch of like crazies in the middle yelling <laughs> at political stuff, basically, and that's it. Normal people are not on Twitter. They're not reading it. They don't care. So just because 50 people tweeted at you that you need to fire this guy or you should take away a sponsorship doesn't mean you need to react to it. This goes back to my old, old days in newspapers when it was so funny that, and I use one example, there was an Ohio State baseball fan out there, and we never put college baseball scores in the paper, even in the agate, okay? We just didn't. It just it wasn't of interest, and we didn't have the space for it. It was one of those things. You just didn't do it. So all of a sudden, an Ohio State baseball fan calls our editor editor, our sports editor, our editor editor. I was the only guy in there. I was, I was an assistant sports editor at the time. My job on the certain day I was in there was we were a PM paper. I, was, I would come in at like 9 in the morning and work like a 9 I actually got some overtime for it. I worked at like a nine to noon shift. It was like a sixth day of the week. I worked three hours. I had to make over any late change. It was really an easy job because rarely did you have breaking sports news on a Friday morning, right? right sure. So I was just there and, and might have been a headline that was didn't fit right, whatever. I had to do some of the small fixes. So it was an easy three extra hours to come in and work. And I, I did it on a Friday and I was gone off for the rest of Fridays every, every year, every time. Um, and so he comes in and yells at me about why we don't have the score in the paper, et cetera, et cetera. Demand I put in. I said, no, I'm not changing a whole page to put an Ohio State baseball score in that we've never put in. But that's the reactionary part. It, it's one per one phone call. Complains. One. And you got to react to them. Yes. And that com- companies have been doing that for a long time, but it's so much worse now because you got the craziest people who don't even need to pick up a phone and make a call. They can just fire off a tweet, yeah. and companies want to react to it. Yeah. Like, grow a spine. Everyone had this kid, this guy's back. Everyone was calling out the Des Moines Register for, for pointing out these tweets in the first place. They got ratioed to all Helen back on Twitter. They did not come out looking good. No one thought this was a good job by the reporter. So why, if you're Bush Light, are you... Basically, caping for them. Yes, ride with the public opinion. I'm, I'm, or just have your own opinion of it, which was, hey, this this guy did the right thing in this case, and he likes Bush Light. You know what? Probably half the people who drink Bush Lights are racists, anyways. They probably didn't care about the tweets in the first place. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I don't. Again, people evolve, and maybe he's evolved, and just. Man, just stop! I'm 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 having a hard time holding 16 year old. I can hold a 24 year old guy accountable. If he'd have tweeted something racially insensitive last night, after, sure. after, yeah, okay, then sorry, then I'm you're gone. You're stupid. You're right. Yeah, I'm not digging your stuff up from 16 years old. No, I mean, it's like not. We do it to all these athletes when they get drafted and stuff. Yes, now, how they have it there when they've hired someone to be their agent is yeah, mind blowing. Is mind blowing. But yeah. still, 
I mean, and the best part about this all is the, the reporter who calls it out and decides to put this in the bottom of the story, then everyone looks at his tweets, and he has all types of crazy stuff that he tweeted from when he was young. Yeah. Because everyone did that. They grew up in the social media age. They didn't think it mattered when they were tweeting this stuff when they were 14 to 18. And then they go on. They become someone who's in the public eye a little bit. People search their tweets one time, and something's in there. No, because everybody wants to be snarky, right? Yep. I, I got a great or one for you. funny. Or- yeah, I got a great one. I, I, got, uh, I, I, I usually tweet. I don't tweet a lot of stuff, personal stuff. I tweet mostly our news stuff. And, and links to our stories. It's just the way I use Twitter. Occasionally, I'll pop in with a, with a, something to say or response to somebody's question. So I, th- I put up a link to, I think it was the very first week of the year, we put the Associated Press's NFL picks online every Thursday. And so my tweet is usually Bengals-centric, and it was Bengals picked to lose. Uh, no, Bengals not only picked to lose, but Seattle gets knockout nod, which he picks a knockout league winner. Well, some lady snarkily came back and said, this doesn't make any sense. I sent her one back that simply said, it's in the story if you click on it. Can you not read? Which probably I shouldn't have said. And then she came back and said, oh, I guess the snark police are out today. Can't even try to say something funny. Well, look, you're the one who came at, came at the story to begin with. I'm just trying to tell you, read it. My favorite is, is, is that, or even better than that, is when they said, would have expected more out of a journalist or something like <laughs> yes. that. It's like, wait. So because I cover a basketball team, we're not allowed to have a conversation like two normal human beings. Yes. You're just allowed to say whatever you want to me, and I can't say anything yeah. back? Yeah, I mean, I've never understood that. And I'll tell you right now, I, I'm never going to make enough money to where it'll matter to me to, say, to come back at you on Twitter, so I will always clap back at you fools. <laughs> I know you do. The NCAA's enforcement staff has charged the University of Kansas with lack of institutional control and Jayhawks basketball coach Bill Self with head coach responsibility violations. That was the one I was trying to tell you. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that one, I've never heard of that one before. Have you? I don't know. I, the NCAA is making up as that, they go that per sounds, usual. That sounds really serious. Those are among the most serious charges levied against Kansas and Self in an NCAA notice of allegations the university received Monday. The Jayhawks are charged with five level one violations, the most serious under NCAA rules, as well as two level two violations related to the school's football program under former coach David Beatty. The enforcement staff indicated in the notice of allegations that it, quote, believed a hearing panel could enter a show cause order against self for his involvement in three of the level one allegations. Of course, a show cause would mean he'd be forced out of coaching for a, a period of time. A chunk of time. Do you think we've seen the end of Bill Self at Kansas? I mean, if, if, if these are proven true, absolutely. I mean, right? I, there's, there's no way around it if, if, if this gets proven. I, I don't think it's going to happen. Now, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, if the NCAA is able to go through with all this, then yeah. But from the sounds of things, Kansas has learned from everyone that's gone before them. And they're going to lawyer up, and they're going to deny until they die. Now, the only difference here is Kansas has been called out in FBI wiretaps that came out in court. Yeah. So it is in the public record. They may have a little more evidence here than the NCAA does normally has because they usually they, they don't have the ability to subpoena anybody, right? And so normally, so they, they got don't this, have any yeah, they got this evidence. in their corner, right? But you've got this in your corner now. Now they don't have all of the FBI's files or anything. They're trying to get a hold of that. The FBI has not turned it over. They're still working their case supposedly, but they do as what is in the pub, public record that's come out in court already, which is some stuff pertaining to Kansas recruiting violations. So I think they're going to be in trouble. Granted, Rick Pitino did so, end up being forced out at Louisville. But somebody gets rolled under the bus here, right? But is right? it Bill Self? It's got to be. I mean, here's the thing. Look at what it took to get Pitino out of Louisville. And even then, we weren't 100% sure he was definitely going to be gone. And that was on the back of another major violation, well, not to mention a huge ta- embarrassment right. a few years With before Karen that. Seifer, yeah. So uh, Bill Self hasn't had 
any of that but, prior history. No, but but this has been going on and dragging through for a couple years now. Oh, right? we all. I mean, he's been winning the yeah. Big Twelve for how long? You know, you're not doing that. Well, lately. no, I'm just talking about this whole thing has been hanging over them for a while now, and finally the, the the hammers come down, and and there is some evidence out there against. So, well, right, but I, but again, if it's your first thing, and and the Kansas has already come out. It's not like Kansas. There's dissension among the ranks, or the Kansas AD is like, oh, we need to think about how we're going to move, and he's we're going to have to temporarily uh, put him on Spend leave. Him, right, yeah. yeah, none of that's happening. They're all saying, we totally disagree with these findings by the NCAA. We're lawyering up, and we're going to fight them. And usually when that happens, the NCAA doesn't fare very well. So No, I'll give you that, but then is he able to recruit the way he needs to recruit moving forward? Well, He's not. He's going to be hamstrung some some um, roster spots, some some scholarships. He's going to be hamstrung the opportunity probably at a, a NCAA tournament, a postseason bid for a couple of years. But how much did that affect Louisville's recruiting? No, I mean Chris Mack turned it around pretty quickly. But Chris Mack turned it around pretty quickly. Right, but you Chris don't Mack think, turned it around pretty quickly. But you don't think Bill Self could do the same thing? I mean, it'd be even easier for him. Could Rick Pitino have done? I mean, it, with all this, if Rick Pitino had survived this. You think he wouldn't have been hamstrung a little bit? I think um, he would have been hamstrung a little bit, but that's also a little bit different because they were hiring prostitutes to come and sleep with their kids. Understood, but it's I'm, not I'm the just, same as paying families no, no, I, who I, want I, the money. I'm just saying, okay, the way families don't listen, care about the this stuff though. that's come out the way that, that they're recruiting. It's it's nothing novel or new, right? And it doesn't now, bother but, families or recruits, right? But now that that's kind of hanging, now that that's out there, are you able to recruit that way still? It again, you don't think there's going to be higher scrutiny on you? Um. In what form does the scrutiny come? It's not like the NCAA has police out there watching you or wiretapping you or something now. They don't have any power to really follow you any closer. You self-report all these violations with your own yeah. compliance department. So so now maybe they can't recruit the same way, but they're Kansas. They can recruit off the backs of just being Kansas. It's not like they have to cheat to get every kid. They have to cheat to be Duke out and Kentucky out once in a while, but it's not like they have to cheat to get every kid they want at Kansas. So... I I just don't think it's going to hurt Kansas that much. It's there's too much money involved for the NCAA, for the institution of Kansas, for Adidas, for all of this to just go away and Kansas to start sucking. Like are they just going to fill that void with UCLA now that McCronin's there? Is the oh no <laughs> UCLA's in Under Armour now, right? I think so. Yeah, no, I think they are. Yeah, yeah. So um, I just it just seems like this is just too damning to me. I just don't see how he survives it. You're probably right, and I'm probably wrong. But to answer your question, I do think that's the end for Bill Self at Kansas. I want to wrap it up with a couple things. I was talking to you on the phone, what was that, two days ago? And remember my tailgate rant from last week, correct? I do. And all of a sudden, I'm going 55 and a 45 on a two-lane road with, there's kind of a turn lane in between the two lanes. There's one lane coming one way, Where one is lane going the other way. This is up in, in northern Kentucky. Um, by, there's a side road by the Griffin Elite there. Um, that you can take that takes you kind of back towards Mineola Pike in the airport. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, okay. So I'm on that road. And Fred comes rolling up on me and is on my bumper. And I'm looking back thinking, what, what are you? What are we doing here? I'm going more than the speed limit. He goes roaring around me. I, of course, flip him off. And I figured out he, he looked like he was an old man because I even said, I said, I said, I hope this guy stops there because I'm going to get out of the car. Baseball I'm going to beat it. No, I don't even need it. I'm just, oh. I'll beat his ass anyway. I was, I was going to. Yeah, I was, we heard that I was strategy ready. last week. Yeah. yeah. You yeah, were ready. Yeah, I was ready. You I was were ready. on one since I was ready week, for this so. cat. So he gets up to the stop sign. There's a stop sign at the end of this. He gets up there. Maybe five seconds faster than I did. Good for you, man. Gets to the stop sign, goes peeling out around the corner. I'm thinking, what? In, where, are you, where are you going? What are you going to do, my friend? I, honestly, slow the frick down, bro. So what was he going to do? I don't know. He just peeled off. He, he was in a hurry somewhere. His car was just really fast. He probably had to get to, to, a, to a cold long neck at the, at, the, at the Skyway liquor there on Donaldson. 
Fair enough. I've stopped there. A few I respect times. That. I like the Skyway Liquor. Yeah, I like that too. It's, it's one of my places. Nice. But the other thing I want to say is, is common decency, common human decency. Okay. Here on, we go. On the airplane from Buffalo, six o'clock flight. I worked until about ten thirty. Went to sleep at midnight. Got up at at, at three forty five to make my six a.m. flight to come home. Because you're a grinder. I'm a grinder, and I'm I'm tired. I mean, I, I didn't feel awful, but I'm tired. So. It's Southwest Airlines, and I, I'm usually in the, I, whenever I check in, I somehow I'm always in the B group. And, and I got lucky. I was in the upper echelon of the B group, which means I'm going to get a seat I always want, which is at the back of the airplane in a window seat, okay? Because sometimes if it's not a full flight, you get lucky, and there's a middle seat open next to you, and do you, you got some more room. Do you not do the thing where you go online and reserve your seat yes. beforehand? Yes, oh, but okay. I, I do it within five minutes. In an, but there's a lot of people that do upgrade stuff. They'll buy the upgrade to get in the A, a class. But it doesn't matter. I still always get the seat I want. I'm always in B. I'm always in. I'm, I, I, I don't have to sit in middle seats. I, I choose my seat. That's the thing you can do. Right. Okay. So there were two two seats left as the plane filled up. Sit middle seat next to me. Middle seat on the other side. Never here, good. Here comes dad and young son down the aisle. Mm. And so initially, I'm like, I'm going to pretend like I'm asleep because I know where this is going. And then I'm waiting for some other people to maybe volunteer for dad and son to sit together. And by the time they come to the end of the aisle, they're, I kind of can feel their presence. So I. Open my eyes, I look up, and I hear the dad with a resigned voice go, yeah, you sit there, and, and I'll sit over here. And finally, i waiting for somebody else, but okay, you know what? Nobody else is going to do it. I said, I'll tell you what, you guys want to sit together? And he's like, you mind? I said, no, it's a short flight. I said, uh, you, you can look out the window too, man. And the kid gets all excited because he wanted to look out the window, and he spent the whole flight looking out the window. So there I go to thank to, you for to, your to, service to the, by middle, the way. to the middle seat, and of course middle seats they're they're not you know they're not it's fun. not nice they're, it's, they're not fun and so I spent a forty five minute flight cramped up in the middle seat but the common human decency of it is there is a higher power Rick there is because the longer flight from Baltimore I connected to to Cincinnati I did the same thing I'm in the B boarding group I get my seat back in the corner. It didn't feel like a full flight. They kept saying, we think this is a full flight. I'm like, okay, well, somebody will sit in the middle seat, and I'll get lucky. It'll be it'll be fat guy who smells bad, and that'll be great for the hour and 40 minutes. That, yeah, that'll, that'll, be be my, that'll be my luck. No, karma. Karma, Rick. The middle seat stayed open the whole time. And I feel like the higher power said, you know what, sir? You were nice enough to make a move for that last flight that I'm going to give you what you want, the middle seat open. Well, first of all, I'm happy that... Be a common, decent human being and it will pay you back. I'm happy that worked out for you. Uh, my question is, is the lesson is the lesson here that A... That karma, everybody else is a jackass. Karma exists? Or is, oh, I think karma exists. Or is the lesson here that you should respect your elder so Skinny doesn't have to get his old ass up? Or is the lesson here that Skinny's just a hypocrite who wanted everyone else to be the good person and he didn't want to have to be the good person? Well, well there's that, but, but somebody had to be the good person in the end, Rick. And and I was that guy. Hey, you know what? Again, we thank you for your service. You're, I'm you're, really glad you stepped you're welcome. up, as you typically do when we need a good person. That's exactly right. I I'm, I feel like I'm I, I can be that guy. That's well known about you, Skinny. One of the two angry guys and noted good person. Noted good person. I believe that's on my calling card. If, if yeah, I'm not mistaken, if not it should be on your. But just realize, stand. realize, oh, karma's out there. Karma is out there. Okay. Here here lies Richard Skinner. Died after beating someone's ass in a road rage in- incident and having a heart attack. <laughs> but he's a good guy. Angry guy. Good person. <laughs> yep, that's it. So again, if you're tailgating me, I will beat your ass. But if you're if you're coming down the aisle with your kid, I'll get up for you. I'll move to the middle seat. Good person, Just know that. but only for karma. That's exactly right, because I knew karma would pay me back in a good way. All right, Rick, a lot of ground covered. We'll be back one week from today with another Potpourri podcast. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the Potpourri edition, presented by Joseph Chevrolet.